from the secret dungeon in the basement of the women's building here in beautiful, colorful St. Louis. This is the KWUR Theater of the Air. I'm David Reinstrom. My name is David Brunel Brown. And I'm Alex Jensen. Welcome. Welcome to our show tonight. Marks the, uh, the debut, well, I guess not the debut, the sequel performance from our fabulous KWUR original series, Sky Pirates. It's episode two. It's that was a round of applause. The debut of the sequel. The debut of the sequel. The dequel, if you will. But it is also the medieval episode. Mm. It is. Our theme today, ladies and gentlemen, is medieval times. Wizards. That's that's my medieval peasants. voice. And, and knights. And, and barbarians. Specifically yeah. accordion barbarians. Have we... <laughs> Got a gift for you. It is such a treat. Oh, yes. If you remember, ladies and gentlemen, on our last show, we the Star Wars show, we were discussing Star Wars influences, and one of them was A Princess of Mars, a book by Edgar Rice Burroughs, and we had a reading from mm-hmm. that book. Well, we liked doing that so damn much that we decided this week to do another reading. I am awash with scandal. And <laughs> this... Reading is going to be of, David... The Eye of Argon! Possibly the worst fantasy story of all time. Yes, indeed. By a man named Jim Tace. So, The Eye of Argon is kind of a challenge. Yes. You read it aloud, and you try to read it without laughing. The story goes <laughs> that this was written in like the mid-80s by this, this, this fellow who was 16 years old. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It was actually written in the late 60s by a fellow who's 16 years old. Uh, and it, it made the rounds to all these. He tried to submit it to a couple of, of, of fantasy magazines, and it got rejected. And it, the, uh, it, there's this legend, this snowballing legend that is built up around this short story. It's just, it was just this hor- horribly typewritten thing. There were just, it was covered in corrective fluid and scratchings out, and, <laughs> and just the whole, the original text of it. Uh, is just so it's it's completely illegible, and this is what this young this young fellow Jim sent to uh, these um, these publishing houses. <laughs> it was a very unprofessional looking draft. He was a teenager. Basically, every time we read this, we ruin this man's life a little bit. Mm. Um, but oh. we are not the first, and we will not be the last. And that <laughs> no, will not... because at some point, of course, it made it to the internet, where it became legend. Yes, indeed. So we are going to have yeah. an Eye of Argon. Uh, let's call it a reading slash competition. Yes. Okay, where we will read sections of this glorious fantasy work. Yes. And try not to laugh. And the rules will be when somebody laughs, we pass it on to the next person. That sounds fair to me. That will be later in the show. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do rec- that as a recurring segment. Yes. So you will hear the Eye of Argon throughout our program today. But I think to start off, I at least would like to play my favorite of all of our medieval-themed sketches. Yes. Original <laughs> sketches, that is. A sketch called Peasant School. So without further ado... Listeners, the K-Word Theater of the Air presents Peasant School. All right, children, settle down, settle down. Today we have a lot of things to do. Uh, First of all, we're going to be talking about uh, pitchforks, right? Secondly, children, we're going to be learning a bit of peasant math, followed then shortly. Yes, you have a question. Yeah, I'm sorry, Teach. I left my pitchfork at home. It's stuck inside my walls. 
Oh, well, that's all right. Does anyone have a spare pitchfork? I do. He can borrow mine. Thanks. All right, that's very kind of you. Very good. My family's got two pitchforks. Oh, my dad heard the pitchfork at my mum last night, and it got stuck inside my threshold of the door of my bedroom. Well, <clears throat> oh, oh, and here, children, here is our new exchange student that just walked in. Everyone give him a warm welcome. What's your name, Hello. son? My name's Faber. Did you walk with you? Uh, yes, he is from the town uh, two miles south of here in Canterbury. My dad told me not to talk to foreigners. Yeah, I heard you guys drink pig's blood. And your mother. No, no, children, settle down, settle down. Now, Frank, go ahead and uh, take a seat. Frank Abitrum. Mr. Slopeworth, he's taking up valuable learning time. You're certainly right. Now, children, we need to settle down. We need to get onto the topic of peasant math. Hooray! Now, when you have one bucket of slop and you add two buckets of pig entrails, what do you get? Oh, 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 I know, oh, I know. I know. It's, I know. it's a family meal. Is yeah, it, it's that's a what, oh, that what I was going to say. Oh, I got it first. Oh, You're cheaper. right. It is a family meal for about two weeks. All right. Very good, children. We... Knew that. I'm sure you probably did know that, Admond. Um, well, perhaps you can answer this next question. If you have three people searching for the Holy Grail and one of them dies by the hand of a cyclops, mm-hmm. how many more steps do you need to take to get to the castle where the Holy Grail is hidden? Oh, oh, oh I know. This I one. know. Oh. Genevieve? Oh, yeah. You have to trod on three more peasants. Exactly. Oh, children, you've been studying. Very good, very good. It's a lucky guess. Gregor, did you do your homework last night? I haven't heard from you yet. I fed it to the dogs. You fed it to the dogs? Yeah, and then I ate the dogs, so I ate my own homework. Gregor, that's very creative. You have quite the imagination. Mrs. Slopworth, Mrs. Slopworth, we're off track again. You're right, Edmund. Well, oh, children, we took too much time already. Uh, looks like it's time for recess. Do we get to witch hunt today? Yes, you can play what you want to play. Mrs. Slopworth, are you a witch? No, I'm not a witch. I think sure? it's Edmund. I think she's a witch. I'm not a witch. I think it's a new kid. I think it's Frag a new rabbit kid. Seven witches. Now, children, go take your games outside. I have to plan for this afternoon where we'll be talking about tomato throwing. Yay! And being subjugated. So go on then, run outside, go ahead. Go ahead and play. I hate the outdoors. Let's let's burn the new kid. Hey, new kid. Come on. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Sit down here. All right, all right. Order in the slop. Order in the slop. Recess court now is now in session. All right, Gregor. New kid, you accused of... Of, of sipping on pig's blood. I think right. he just confessed. New kid has chosen to conduct his own offense. Norbert Jamdom and Fedringham Rangenstein and incense. New kid, are you some sort of papist? You cracker muncher? Short fine and seven and seven. Alright, he's guilty. He's definitely a witch. We gotta burn him. I say we throw tomatoes at him first. All right, we're going to throw... Wait, wait, wait. That's not until after recess. Oh, admin. We can't preempt. We have to wait. All right, it's settled then. He's guilty. We're going to burn him at the stake. I've built a fire. I've got torches. 
I'll poke him with a pitchfork. Children, stop that! Now, children, children, is this any way to treat our immigrant student? Yes! He's foreign and he smells. You do have a point. Carry on. I love that tale. It, it's a delightful medieval tale. Classic. Ladies and gentlemen, a classic medieval ballad. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is the Kayworth Theater of the Air here on KWUR 90.3 FM. Check Clayton. us out online. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize you were going to say Clayton. I was going to say Clayton. You say Clayton. Because okay. that's part of the name of the station. But you can check us out I'll, online I'll say it. I'll if say you it. Clayton. point your browser machine at www.kwur.com. And I would also remind listeners that you can find our website at kwurradiotheater.wordpress.com. And you can That's, also find... Oh, sorry. That's kwurradiotheater.wordpress.com. And you can also find our podcast on the interweb, specifically on iTunes, by searching the KWUR Theater of the Air in the iTunes store. It's free, and, and we love you. And now, the Eye of Argon. Okay, so I'm going to set a timer for five bum, minutes. Bum, 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 bum. And bum, when bum, one of us screws bum, up, bum, we pass bum, 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 counterclockwise. Bum, bum. So Alex, you'll bum, bum, Okay. Bum. Okay, ready? Bum, 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 bum. The Eye of Argon. Well, wait, we, we should re-explain the rules here. Uh, okay, we're reading a ridiculous fantasy story. When one of us laughs, we pass it to the next DJ. Good enough. Okay. I am the next DJ. You are the next DJ. There You're can ready. only be one. The Eye of Argon. The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climbs of the barren land. Beep. Okay, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Failure. Dust-racked climbs of the barren land. All right. <clears throat> which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire. Age-worn hoofprints smothered by the sifting sands of time shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of the earth. <laughs> David. I didn't laugh. You did no, laugh. She didn't no, laugh. I didn't. You nope. laughed. <laughs> well, now I laugh. Continue, Alex. Okay. That doesn't <clears throat> count. Okay. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead, halfway through its daily revolution. Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's hilarious. Sorry, I, I didn't mark where I was. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not even through the first paragraph here. Um, okay, uh... Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. Dust sprayed over three heaving mounds in, in blinding clouds while they bore the burdensome cargoes of their struggling overseers. Prepare to embrace your creators in the stinging haunts of hell, barbarian, gasped the first soldier. Only after you have kissed the fleeting steed of death, wretch, <laughs> returned Grigner... A sweeping blade of flashing steel riveted from the massive barbarian's hide enameled shield <laughs> hide enameled shield as his rippling right arm thrust forth, sending a steel shod blade in, uh, to the hilt 
into the soldier's vital organs. The disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sword. <laughs> My turn. Mark it. Mark where you were. Clouded. Clouded sword. Okay, three minutes remain. Sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. The enthused. <laughs> Darn it! How can I only get one sentence out? Next. I'll tell you why. Life, <laughs> life fluid. fluid. Oh, they always stick me with the crummy uh, part. <laughs> Uh, it's the next paragraph. The enthused barbarian swivel, swiveled about, his shock of fiery wet hair tossing robustly in the humid air currents as he faced the attack of the defeated soldier's fellow in arms. Damn you, barbarian! shrieked the soldier as he observed his comrade in death. A gleaming scimitar, scimitar yeah. smote a heavy blow against the renegade's spiked helmet, bringing a heavy cloud over the accordion's misting brain. Shaking off the effects of the pounding blow to his head, Griegner. (laughs) (laughs) I tried. I tried so hard. A minute forty-five. So hard. Griegner brought down his scarlet-streaked edge against the soldier's uh, something else with his crudely forged halberd, clanging harmlessly to the left side of his opponent. The soldier's steed whinnied as he directed the horse back from the driving blade of the barbarian. Grigner leashed his mouth forward <laughs> as the hoarsely piercing battle cry of his wilderness bred race resounded from his grinding lungs. <laughs> How much time? How much time? A uh, uh, little more than a minute. Okay. Grinding lungs. Grinding lungs. A twirling blade bounced harmlessly from the mighty thief's buckler as his rolling right arm cleft upward, sending a foot of blinding steel ripping through the Sumerian's exposed gullet. A gasping gurgle from the soldier's writhing mouth as he tumbled to the golden sand at his feet and wormed agonizingly in his deathbed. Grigner's emerald green orbs glared lustfully at the wallowing soldier struggling before him. Uh, His chestnut swirled mount... His scowling voice reverberated over the dying form in a tone of mocking mirth. You city-bred dog should learn not to antagonize your better. Reining his weary mount ahead, Grigner resumed his journey to the Norigolian city of Gorzam, seeking to discover wine, women, and adventure to boil the wild blood coursing through his savage veins. The trek to Gorzam was forced upon Grigner when the soldiers of Kryn were leashed upon him by a faithless concubine he had wooed. His scandalous activities throughout the Sumerian city had unleashed throngs of havoc and uproar among its refined patricians, leading them to tack a heavy reward over his head. He had barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn. Oop, there's the time. I'll finish the sentence. He had barely managed to escape through the back entrance of the inn he had been guzzling in as a squad of soldiers tounced upon him. <laughs> After spilling a spout of blood from the leader of the mercenaries as he dismembered one of the officer's arms, he retreated to his mount to make his way towards Gorzom, rumored to contain hordes of plunder and many young wenches for any man who has the backbone to wrest them away. (laughs) Oh, it's divided into chapters. We don't need to time it. We can just read chapter by chapter. Okay. Okay. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The (laughs) chapter one of The Eye of Argon. I think now might be a good time to take a break. Good idea. And then we'll be back here on KWUR with more K-Word Theater of the Air. A fine plan. 
Does your family have a plan in the event of an emergency? Emergencies are almost always unexpected, so many people are caught unprepared when they happen. Don't let this happen to you. Take the time to talk to your family about creating an emergency plan. Talk about things like where to meet, who would pick the kids up, and what supplies you should have. Go to ready.gov for more information on getting prepared for any emergency. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. Thanks, Alexa. You're welcome. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome You're back to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. If you're discriminating, you can listen online at www.kwer.com. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman. I'm Alex Jensen. Hi, you guys. And now. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. It's time good. for something awesome. What you is were, it? You were just going about your day, listener. Mm-hmm. You were just going about your day. You were listening to the KWER Theater of the Air. And Lively, then all unaware. of a sudden. <laughs> You were smacked in the face. The heavens opened up. By awesomeness. Because right here, right now, it's time for episode two of Sky Pirates. Ooh, sounds fun. It does sound fun because it is fun. Strap in your seatbelts. And it's good for your soul. So (laughs) (laughs) I think without further ado, we should go ahead and premiere the next exciting installment of Sky Pirates. Go for it. Enjoy. The coast of Monaco. The sun, high in its arc, scintillates on a shoal of fish gaily swimming in the warm waters of the Mediterranean. They curve and bank around a set of four concrete pilings sunk in the bay, to each of which is attached a long steel cable. Traveling up these cables a few hundred feet, we find... Stay. Stay. The world's only airborne casino. Come on, Taggart, get lucky. Captain Gulliver Nash of the airship Feathered Beagle, his gunnery sergeant Taggart, and his helmsmen are gambling away their earnings. Actually, I'm doing pretty well. Flush with cash as they are, having lately robbed the workshop of one Baron Klaus von Grupp, villain and industrialist. Yeah, I got shot. I remember. You got better. Well, it, uh... Gentlemen, betting has finished. Please show your cards. Uh, 20? 14. 25. Bust. And I draw 19. The pot goes to Captain Nash. You are doing well. I told you. Nash is an accomplished gambler, important in his profession. What's that, you ask? The profession of a rogue, a swindler, a mad hero, a highwayman of the air. Gulliver Nash and his crew are... Sky Pirates! Thanks for that. Yeah. Doesn't it bother you that I'm winning your money, Mr. Taggart? Better you than the hoose. I cannot rob the hoose while it sleeps. Yeah. You might try staying every once in a while. That's sort of how blackjack works. Next clown, gentlemen. Auntie Yip. Have you seen George, Captain? I believe, Mr. Stegman, that she is playing at craps. She was muttering something about algorithms when we debarked. Here's an algorithm. I'm going all in. You're completely bats, Taggart. That's also not an algorithm. First round, gentlemen, hit or stay. Hit? Hit. I will hit as well, and leave us all a moment to consider, as the pot is formidable at present. What's next on the agenda, Nash? Why not Mexico? It seems like the heat is off from that Belgian thing, but I might like to swing by the Americas again nonetheless. Doesn't hurt to get some distance from the continent. Okay, and the next round begins. Hit. Hit. Suddenly... 
A massive blast rends the wall asunder. The air is filled with smoke, plaster, and the metallic scent that always follows a detonation of high-grade stable explosive. That would be Cordite. Yes. My God! The dealer's dead from shock. He'll be fine. Hit the deck! The trio dropped to the floor. Gentlemen, my keen deductive sense tells me we've been boarded. Risking his neck, Nash takes a look at the card table. Okay. Uh, Stegman, you busted. Tagger, you busted. And I got 21 in the pot goes to me. You did not. God's own truth. Now is not the time for cards. You're right, Stegman. Taggart, did you bring grenades? Captain, my God, we're in a public place. Taggart, did you bring grenades? Yes. Taggart opens his jacket to reveal two huge belts of grenades. What we need now is a distraction. Hand me a flashback. Tracing a map in the red plush carpet, Nash constructs a plan. I throw the grenade, we run towards the craps tables and rescue George. Steg, you head back up to the Beagle and get her started out. Taggart, George, and I will rally the crew. Captain, soldiers! It's a bloody platoon! They're getting closer. Close your eyes. The flashbang grenade explodes in a blazing corona of light and sound. Run! Run, by God! Tagger with me! Nash and Dagger draw steel and race over to the craps table. Difficult to see in the smoke. George! George! Hold your fire! Everyone hold your fire! Nash, what is wrong with you? Get over here! George? Our heroes take shelter behind a set of overturned game tables. A makeshift barricade. George and the rest of the crew have marshaled the other gamblers into a fighting force. Walk into my firing line! Are you bloody crazy? The shag here would have shot you. He's anxious to try out his new toy. It is my pearl-handled automatic 38 caliber. American made. It's very nice. Next wave, Sergeant. Ready! George, we've got to get out of here. These men just keep on coming. Who has this kind of money? They're not men, Nash. Tag out ready grenades. Men, fire a volley and scatter on my mark. They're not men. Grenade, open fire. Run! What are you talking about, George? No time now. We're segment. Went ahead, starting up our engines. They approach the casino's entrance. A cashier cowers behind his desk. Oh, my winnings. Uh, my name's Gulliver Nash. You know my account. Come on! Bye! Running through the sunlit hall to the docking bay, they stop, seeing... The uniform. There's one. He hasn't seen us. Only one of them. I'll knock him out. Shh. Creeping forward, Nash strikes the mercenary at the base of the skull with the haft of his saber. Aha! Clang! Nash stares hopelessly into the eyes of his intended victim. Glowing red eyes. The eyes of a machine. Hostile protocol engaged. <laughs> Thinking quickly, Nash grabs the mechanical man's rifle, clubs it in the head, and tosses the man out of a window. I told you. I'm bleeding told you. To the ships. Everyone to your ships. Too rattled to argue, the gamblers make their way to their ships and escape. Well, most do. The feathered beagle is among those that manage to escape. A sigh is heaved by all. For now. Back aboard the casino, however, two figures poke through the wreckage. One is stocky and round, and the other... The other... Well, this is another fine mess you've got made. In my defense, Baron, their logic cores are still prototypes. I cannot control them as well as I would have liked. I'm not made of money. You have to work with what I give you, Bladebot. Yes, sir. Nash's ship is gone, but we might have trapped one of their crew. Or the man himself. My circuits tingle with delight, sir. Don't be cute. They're doing this for Lady Magdalena for the scratch, not for the fun. Stay sharp. That won't be difficult, sir. 
Krupp's companion is the dread mechanical construct known as Bladebot. Powerful, dangerous, and worst of all, imbued with human intelligence, Bladebot serves as the commander of Grupp's experimental mechanical soldiers. I believe the proper term these days is robot. Robot? Heard it used in a Czech play. Well, uh, how does it work? You're a robot. I've been meaning to ask. Good question. It's, uh... It's a little complicated. But suffice to say is that Bladebot controls the robot soldiers via radio commands. Baron, I found a survivor. And why is it called Bladebot? Allow me to illustrate. Bladebot, if you would. What? No, put me down. Where did the American go? The loud one. I don't know who you... Like the rustling of steel leaves, blades spring forth from the hands and extremities of the robotic construct. Sacre girl de Jésus-Christ! Shall we play a game? Grupp picks up a fallen, unopened deck of cards. He shuffles. For every question you do not answer, I draw a card. If I draw a face card, you lose part of your face. That's horrible! I felt like I'd gone too long without being a bad guy. That... That is a terrible excuse. Tell me, dealer, who played at cards last at your table? Two, two Britons and an American. The American played well and the others did not. What did the American look like? I don't know. Two of clubs. Think harder. Well, George, and some, I, I really don't know. He had flight goggles. Grupp consults a newspaper clipping. A mugshot of Nash. Public drunkenness. Flight jacket? Yes. With a little shoulder patch on there. Looks like a dog with wings. See? Now was that so bad? No. Lovely. Bladebot, hurl him across the room. I've just heard over the wire from a squad leader. They've got a crew of dock workers tied and gagged. Beautiful. And how are you enjoying your first day out, Bladebot? By my breakers, Baron, I've never had such fun. The two tramp through the wreckage of the casino, master in creation, trailing destruction in their wake. Outside, almost dwarfing the structure it is tethered to, a black hulk of a vessel shifts in and out of the smoke. It is almost painful to look at in the daylight. The Baron's vessel, the Death's Head, is fully operational. Ah, is she not beautiful? Yes, she is not beautiful. Hey! By now, dozens of miles away, the feathered beagle hugs the coast. On the bridge, the atmosphere is tense. I tell you, I don't care for this one bit, George. Being shot at isn't anyone's cup of tea, I think. I just... I get the feeling they were hunting for someone in particular. And that someone was me. You sound anxious, Nash. Wouldn't be good for the crew to hear. Even Admiral Nelson can tell, can't you, boy? Just getting this unsettling feeling. And you shut him up. I wouldn't. Admiral Nelson's a trained bomb sniffer. Oh, great. Now there are bombs on my ship. No, but... Nash, behind you! Out of nowhere springs a knife-wielding robot soldier disguised in a black boat cloak. It raises its blade to strike at our hero, but... George is quicker. With one tremendous swing of her spanner, the robot falls to the floor, twitching, finally stilling. Well, nice work, George. Lucky you had the wrench. A girl is never without it. And it's a spanner. It's a wrench. It's a spanner. It's a spanner. Whose side are you on? Good boy, Admiral Nelson. Smart dog. 
so your fares were perhaps not unfounded. Look at this, Nash. An imprint on the foot of this mechanical man. Robot. Robot. Look, it says Grop Industries. Damn it! The heat is off, he says. Let's go to Mexico, he says. He's hunting us. Who gave you his name? DuPont. He said he'd be an easy mark. We've always been good to DuPont. Why would he want us dead? I don't think it has to do with him. I think it might have to do with you. Great. Well, we'll worry about the why later. For now, we wrangle with the what. We should make sure that there are no more of these things aboard the Beagle. We are better. And for now, we run. We run far away. Several hours later, the Death's Head has headed back into the interior of the continent. News travels faster than airship, however. Baron von Grupp and his chief financier, Lady Magdalena, inspect the hole as they walk. Your mercenaries made quite a stir, Klaus. It was not a successful operation. I'll warrant that much. You incurred a great deal of property damage. And for what? We have a few leads, Lady Magdalena. When you have Gulliver Nash, I will be satisfied. Until then, expect me to be exacting. I expect no less from my patroness. Is that what you've taken to calling me? That's almost endearing. <laughs> it's not that I'm bothered by the carnage. Really. I know. But... Your men's antics have caught the Fuhrer's attention. He has demanded oversight from the Luftwaffe. Ah, really? Yes. See that your men are properly disciplined. We can't afford to draw notice like this. I'll be sure to be more discreet in the future. Baron von Grapp, sir. Yes, midshipman. Dispatch from High Command, sir. Just came in. Lady Magdalena, it looks like we'll be expecting visitors in... Well, just about now. The Luftwaffe's prompt. Germans are punctual. No kidding. Come, lady. To the docking bay. Soon, overlooking the docking bay, Grupp and Magdalena await the coming of their new Reich oversight. A small transport vessel docks and is tied down by Grupp's men. I must admit, I'm a little nervous. Who is they sending? I mean, surely not Zafira himself. No. We're not that important. Still. Feeling contrite? Hmm, no. Shall we descend to meet our new boss? Let's. The pair walk down the steel staircase as the hatch of the transport craft opens, revealing... Guten Tag! That's our new boss? Huh. What could inspire a reaction like this from our villains? What sort of fearsome purveyor of cruelty could give even our Baron von Grupp pause? Good question. Find out next time when we return with the next thunderously entertaining episode of Sky Pirates. We are back. You are listening to KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. This is the KWUR Theater of the Air. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman. I'm Alex Jensen, and you just heard the second episode of Sky Pirates. What'd you think? Uh, honestly. I liked it a lot! What did you think? If you have an opinion, please do call in. David, what number should people dial if they want to call in? 314 935 K-W-U-R. Again, that's 314-935-5987.
Thank you. I don't know what that voice was supposed to be. I think it's Negopus? bordering on... No, I think it's bordering on Bullwinkle J. Moose. Oh, yes. It's, uh. Okay, well, thank you, uh, Bullwinkle, for telling listeners our call-in number. So, yes, You're welcome. If you do have something to say to us about Sky Pirates, do call in. We'd love to hear from you. But now, <laughs> I think it's time that we return to the Eye of Argon. Ladies and gentlemen, that this is... the epic. Uh, today's theme is medieval times here on the Kaworth Theater of the Air. So we've been reading The Eye of Argon, the worst fantasy epic ever written by man. <laughs> now, apparently, as we discovered, uh, as Sky Pirates was playing, uh, the author of The Eye of Argon, whose name I now forget, David. Jim Tace. Jim Tace is a huge radio theater aficionado. Damn it! He buys, tra- <laughs> he he collects and trades old uh, records of old radio programs from the 30s, 40s, and 50s under the name The Phantom of Radio Past. That is just amazing. So it's all it's all interconnected. It's all coming together. It's all yeah. interconnected. <laughs> so for our medieval episode, we've been reading this fantasy epic in we, turn, we and are... it's a reading slash competition. All right, let me start the timer. It's very difficult to read this without laughing. So we have been reading it in turns, and when somebody laughs, we move it on to the next person. We are damned to follow. Uh, aren't we going steps. by chapters? Oh, yeah. Well, I think the second chapter looks a little long. But we can, yeah, we'll do it by chapter. Okay. Forget the timer. So I believe David will now begin with chapter two of the Eye of Argon. We'll see how far he gets. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen. Chapter two. After arriving after dusk in Gorzom. Grignir descended down a dismal alley, reining his horse before a beaten tavern. The red-haired giant strode into the dimly lit hostelry, reeking of foul odors and cheap wine. The air was heavy with chalking fumes, spewing from smoldering torches encased within the den's earthen walls. Tables were clustered with groups of drunken thieves and cutthroats, tossing dice or making love to willing prostitutes. (laughs) Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grignir advanced, wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence, dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice, her stringy orchid twines of hair swaying gracefully over the lithe, opaque nose, as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red lips. Glancing upward, the alluring complexion noted the stalwart giant as he rapidly approached. The alluring complexion noted? A faint glimmer sparked from a pair of deep blue ovals of the amorous female as she motioned <laughs> towards <laughs> Grignir. Let me march it. Ding! Ding! My turn. Okay. As she motioned towards Grignir. Bring it on. <clears throat> Three paragraphs. Not bad. I'm getting better at this. As she motioned towards Grignir, enticing him to join her. The barbarian seated himself upon a stool at the wench's side, exposing his body, naked save for a loincloth brandishing a long steel broad sword, an iron spiraled battle helmet, and a thick leather sandals to her unobstructed view. Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian, questioned the female. Is there a question the female? There's a question mark after that. 
Only if something worth offering is within my reach, stated Grigner, as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female, who welcomed them with open willingness. From where do you come, barbarian, and by what are you called? gasped the complying wench as Grigner smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just like to remind our listeners that St. Louis is number one in the country for cases of gonorrhea and chlamydia. Oh, God. Don't, so don't remind our when, listeners. When kissing willing wenches, make sure that they do not have flaming mouths. This is a public service announcement provided the you by engr- the station. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive female, pulling her towards him and crushing her sagging nipples to his yearning chest. <laughs> Can we say this? <laughs> you look defeated. Uh, All right. Is this clean for is the air? I, I don't know how I was dirty pre- I, gonna I, get here. I'm sure I can find it. Uh. Okay. <laughs> Did you say sagging? Yes, her sagging nipples. To his yearning chest, without struggle, she gave in, winding her soft arms around the harshly bronzed hide of Grigner corded shoulder blades. As his calloused hands caressed her firm, protruding busts. <laughs> you make love well, wench, admitted Grigner as he reached for the vessel of potent wine his charge had been quaffing. A flying foot caught the mug Grigner had taken hold of, sending its blood red contents sloshing over a flickering crescent, leashing tongues of bright orange flame to the foot trodden floor. Remove yourself, sirrah. The wench belongs to me, blabbered a drunken soldier, too far consumed by the influences of his virile brew to take note of the superior size of his adversary. Grigner lightly bounded from the startled female, his face lit up to an ashen red ferocity, and his eyes locked in a searing feral blaze towards the swaying soldier. To hell with you, braggard, bellowed the angered accordion as he hefted his finely honed broadsword. The staggering soldier clumsily reached towards the pommel of his dangling sword, but before his hands ever touched the oaken hilt, a silvered flash was slicing the heavy air. The fuse of the savage's lacing right arm bulged from the glistening bronze hide as his blade bit deeply into the soldier's neck, loping off the confused head of his senseless tormentor. With a nauseating thud, the severed oval toppled to the floor as the segmented torso of Grigner's bovine antagonist swayed, then collapsed in a pool of swirled crimson. In the confusion, the soldier's fellows confronted Grigner with unsheathed cutlasses directed towards the latter's scowling makeup. The slut should have picked his quarry more carefully, roared the victor in a mocking baritone growl as he wiped his dripping blade on the prostrate form and returned it to his scabbard. The fool should have known more prudence. However, you shall rue your actions while rotting in the pits, stated one of the sprawled soldier's comrades. Grigner's hand began to remove his blade from its leather housing, but retarded the motion in the face of blades waving before his face. Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian. Dismiss your hand from the hilt, barbarian, or you shall find a foot of steel sheathed in your gizzard. Grigner weighed his position observing his flight, whereupon he took the soldier's advice as his only logical choice. To attempt to hack his way from his present predicament could only warrant certain death. He was of no mind to bring his own demise uh, if an alternate path presented itself. The will to necessitate his life forced him to yield to the superior force in hopes of a moment of carlessness later. (laughs) Darn it. Good show, David. 
Yeah, oh. that was hard at the beginning there. Thanks. Especially. Yeah, I, I almost, I almost tittered. <clears throat> there it is, the second column. Mm. Carlessness. You, you tittered mm. at the mention of the nipples. Yes. But dump. I didn't mean to say <clears throat> it like that. In hopes of a moment of carelessness later upon the part of his captors in which he could effect a more plausible means of escape, you may steady your arms. I will go without a struggle. Your decision is a wise one, yet perhaps you would have been better off had you forced death. The soldier's mouth wrinkled to a sadistic grin of knowing mirth as he prodded his prisoner on with his own sword point. After an indiscriminate period of marching through slinking alleyways and dim moonlighted streets, the procession confronted a massive... Seraglio. The palace area was surrounded by an iron grating with a lush garden upon all sides. The group was admitted through the gilded gateway and Grigner was led along a stone pathway bordered by plush vegetation plush vegetation lustfully enhanced by the moon's shimmering rays. Upon reaching the palace, the group was granted entrance, and after several minutes of explanation, led through several winding corridors to a richly draped chamber. Confronting the group was a short, stocky man seated upon a, upon a, one word, golden throne. Tapestries of richly draped regal blue silk covered all walls of the chamber, while the steps leading to the throne were plated with sparkling white ivory. The man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms, and a trusted advisor seated in back of him. At each corner of the chamber, a guard stood at attention, with upraised pikes supporting in their hands, golden chainmail adorning their torsos, and barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes and shrouding their heads. The man rose from his throne to the dais surrounding it. His plush turquoise robe dangled loosely from his chunky frame. <laughs> The soldiers surrounding Grigner fell to their knees with heads bowed to the stone masonry of the floor in fearful dignity to their sovereign, Liege. Explain the purpose of this intrusion upon my chateau. Your serenity, <laughs> spelt siren, siren, your sirenity, resplendent in noble grandeur. We have brought this yokel before you, the soldier gestured up toward Grigner, for the red dress, the red dress are all your knowing wisdom in judgment regarding his fate. Down on your knees, lout, and pay proper homage to your sovereign, commanded the pudgy noble of Grigner. By the surly beard of Murfik, I can't, Murifk, Murifk. Grigner kneels to no man, scowled the massive barbarian. You dare to deal this blasphemous act to me? You are indeed brave, stranger, yet your valor smacks of foolishness. I find you to be the only fool, sitting upon your pompous throne, enhancing the rolling flabs of your belly in the midst of your elaborate luxury, and the soldier standing at Grigner's side smote him heavily in the face with the flat of his sword, cutting short the harsh words and knocking his battered helmet to the masonry with an echoing clang. The paunchy noble's sagging round face flushed suddenly pale, then pastily lit up to a lustrous cherry red radiance. <laughs> That was, a, that was a good run, Alexa. That's great. Uh, right here. That was a very good run. <laughs> oh. His lips trembled with malicious rage while emitting a muffled, sibilant gibberish. His <laughs> sagging flabs rolled like a tub of upset jelly, then compressed as he sucked in his gut in an attempt to conceal his softness. The prince regained his statue, then spoke stat that is statue, uh, as written. 
then spoke to the soldiers surrounding Gringer, his face conforming to an ugly expression of sadistic humor. Take this uncouth heathen to the vault of misery, and be sure that his agonies are long and drawn out before death can release him. As you wish, sire, your command shall be heeded immediately, answered the soldier on the right of Grigner as he stared into the barbarian's seemingly un unaffected face. The advisor, seated in the back of the noble, slowly rose and advanced to the side of his master, motioning the wenches seated at his sides to remove themselves. He lowered his head and whispered to the noble, Eminence, the punishment you have decreed will cause much misery to this scum. It will, it will only last a short time. Then release him to a land beyond the sufferings of the human body. Why not mellow him in one of the subterranean vaults for a few days, then send him to life labor in one of your buried mines? To one such as he, a life spent in the confinement of the Stygian pits will be an infinitely more appropriate and lasting torture. The noble cupped his drooping double chin in the folds of his brimming palm, meditating for a moment upon the rationality of the counselor's words, then raised his shaggy brown eyebrows and turned toward the advisor, eyes aglow. As always, Agfrad, you speak with great wisdom. Your words ring of great knowledge concerning the nature of one such as he, saith, comma, the king. The noble turned towards the prisoner with a noticeable shimmer reflecting in his frog-like eyes and his lips contorting to a greasy grin. Sorry, I'm going to reread that. His lips contorting to a greasy grin. I have decided to void my previous decree. The prisoner shall be removed to one of the palace's underground vaults. There he shall stay until I have decided that he has sufficiently simmered whereupon he is to be allowed to spend the remainder of his days in, uh, at labor in one of my mines. Upon hearing this, Grigner realized that his fate would be far less merciful than death to one such as he who is used to roaming the countryside at will. A life of confinement would be more than his body and mind could stand up to. This type of life would be immeasurably worse than death. I shall never understand the ways of your twisted civilization. I simply defend my honor and am condemned to life confinement by a pig who sits on his royal ass, wooing whores, and knows nothing of the affairs of the land he imagines to rule. <laughs> Lectures green near? <laughs> There's a question mark at the end of that sentence. <laughs> Enough of this. Away with the slut before I lose my control. <laughs> David? <laughs> Uh, how much more do we have of the, uh... Just a paragraph or two. Okay. Enough of this! Away with the slut before I loose my control! <laughs> Seeing the peril of his position, Grignir searched for an opening. Crushing prudence to the sword, he plowed into the soldier at his left arm, taking hold of his sword, and bounding to the dais, supporting the prince before the startled guards could regain their composure... Agafond leaped Grignir and his sire, but found a sword blade permeating the length of his ribs before he could loose his weapon. <laughs> the counselor slumped to his knees as Grignir slid his crimson blade from Agnifid's ribcage. The spelling keeps changing. The fat prince stood undulating in insurmountable fear before the edge of the fiery-maned comet. His 
flabs of jellied blubber pulsating to and fro <laughs> in ripples of flowing terror. Your turn, Alexa. Let me mark it. Okay. <laughs> Actually, start from start from his flabs of jellied blubber. <laughs> All right. This is so much fun. His flabs of jellied blubber pulsating to and fro in ripples of flowing terror. <laughs> doesn't count if I laugh again there, does no, it? No, it doesn't. Keep okay. going. Where is your wisdom and power now, your majesty? growled Grigner. The prince went rigid as Grigner discerned him, glazing over his shoulder. He swiveled to note the cause of the noble's attention, raised his sword over his head, and prepared to leash a vicious downward cleft, but fell short as the haft of a steel-rhymed pike clashed against his unguarded skull. Then blackness and solitude, silence and shrouding, and ever-peaceful reigned supreme. Before me, sirrah, before me as always. Ha, 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 ha. Nobly cackled. <laughs> the end of chapter two. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, this just gets better oh, and better. I, listeners, I hope you are having as much fun with this as we are, because this this is hilarious. <laughs> You're listening to the K-Word Theater of the Air, and I think we're going to take a quick break, and then we will be back with more of our medieval episode on this very fine Thursday evening.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be afraid to take on the tough classes in high school. You need them to succeed in college. Most colleges require three or four years of math, English, science, social studies, and at least two years of the same foreign language. So, push yourself. You may not need all these classes to finish high school, but working harder today makes getting into college a whole lot easier. For more info, visit knowhowtogo.org. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. And you're listening to the K-Worth Theater of the Air, here on 90.3 FM, Clayton. Thank you very much, Alex. You are so welcome, David. Thank you very much, Alex. You are so welcome, David. That was weird. It was like you said the same thing twice, but it was to two different people. I know. You know why? You know why? It's that was weird. It's it was like you said the same thing twice, but to two different people. We, we are hive mind. We have overtaken David. We are legion. We are unstoppable. Anyway, hmm. today we, we are not so? doing a hive mind themed episode. We're doing a medieval themed episode. Oh. And what? Alexa was mid-thunk. Um, I don't even remember what I was going to say. I'm <laughs> sure it wasn't important anyway. Probably After not. All, you're a woman. True. I am a woman. Hey, excuse me. I got to go make some uh, chicken Sexism. pot pies. Note Bennett. Uh, the thing. Hmm? The thing that is really sexist. I just made up that song. Were you singing sexism to Goldfinger? Yes. I would like to point out that the KWUR Theater of the Air does not condone sexism in any form, and any depiction thereof is completely satirical. Thank you. Thank you, David. But you know when there was sexism, David? Medieval, medieval times. times. Yeah. And today we're doing a medieval-themed episode here on K-Worth Theater of the Air. We are your humble serving wenches. Sw- <laughs> slash swords. <laughs> yes. What, what's the word? What's the uh, word? Swain. 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 Not sword. Isn't that a grassy area? A sword? A sword. S-W-A-R-D. I have no idea. Alexa? Couldn't tell you. Oh. Well, we uh, are... A swain we are is a... a, a a country person or shepherd. Yes, we are. We are your serving swains. And Alexa, are you a serving wench? I yeah. Okay. Yeah. So no, that's cool. I'm swains. done with that. Okay. So we're wenches and swains today. And what could be med- more medievally than knights and chivalry and pots on your head and pots on your head? Because oh, I've we, given it away. You have given it away because we are going to play uh, Don Quixote. Now, if you remember, a few uh, we played a few weeks ago, and then last week we played. Installments from the Star Wars, the radio adaptation of Star Wars, which was produced by National Public Radio uh, as part of NPR Playhouse. And they also did this adaptation of Cervantes' Don Quixote, which we're going to play an episode of for you. I, I lost, like, the construction yeah, of my syntax, sentence. Yeah, syntax. The syntax was a the little off there. The sentence broke <laughs> apart. That's we're okay. going to play an episode of this for you now. <laughs> I am I, Don Quixote, the Lord of La Mancha, my destiny... Oh, sorry. I really thought you were about to say, I am Iron Man. No. <laughs> oh, I thought we were playing yeah. selections from the Broadway musical, because I wasn't paying attention. No, we're not. This is the NPR radio adaptation of Don Quixote. Oh, I hear that's pretty good. I hear it, too. Why don't you judge for yourself, listeners? I hear it now. I will. Globe Radio Repertory presents Don Quixote de La Mancha. By Miguel de Cervantes. The roads and byways of 16th century Spain were well traveled by people of every stratum of society Hidalgos, merchants, peasants, beggars, and thieves. And all these travelers were thrown together at the crowded wayside inn, where it would not have been at all uncommon 
for a gentleman to share a room with a mule driver. And now, episode two, The Enchanted Castle. In the first chapter of our history, Don Quixote and his faithful squire, Sancho Panza, set out together in search of adventures on the desolate plains of La Mancha. Don Quixote was gratified in his heart as he thought of the wrongs he would right, the combats he would win, and the glory that soon would be his. Sancho, for his part, was also content, for he thought of the island his master had promised him. In good spirits both, they rode several leagues over the barren earth before they spied thirty terrible giants standing in their path. Or, rather, that is what Don Quixote saw. For to Sancho, these giants were nothing more than windmills, and their arms, great sails, turning in the wind. But Don Quixote, bidding Sancho to remain behind, spurred on his horse, lowered his lance, and charged the enemy. Stand off to one side and say your prayers! Put your face, that I am, what will become of my master now? Seek not to fly, coward! Vile creatures! I am but one, though you are many! Stand and fight! <laughs> though you flourish as many arms as the giant Briareus, I shall prevail! Dulcinea! Pardon, but anyone with eyes in his head... Be quiet, Sancho! Did I not tell you to stand off to one side and say your prayers? Well, yes, your grace, but I thought... Do not think, Sancho, but obey. Stand clear of the giant's arms and make haste to leave this field of battle, or I cannot answer for your safety. But this is no field of battle, your grace. Sancho! For me, I am as safe as if I were home in bed. You shall see as to that presently, said our grace. What did your grace mean? <laughs> These, friend Sancho, are the fortunes of war which are subject to constant change. What appear to be windmills are indeed giants. What appears safe is dangerous beyond belief. I know that. You must learn to judge not by the appearance of things, but by their truth. In truth, Your Grace, it appears my ribs are cracked. 
Oh, and your brow is bleeding like a, like a stuck pig. No, Sancho, a knight errant would not complain of his wounds, even though his entrails were dropping out. Well, if that's the way it is, I have nothing more to say. But God knows I wouldn't take it amiss if your grace complained when you were hurt. As for me, I mean to cry out over the slightest scratch. Oh! Unless the same rule applies to squires as well. Simple, Sancho. <laughs> you may complain where and when you like, whether there is cause or not. <laughs> well, your, your grace is too kind. And though you don't complain of this or that, <laughs> you bleed obtusely. Pro. Profusely, I think you mean. Just so, just so. If I can catch my donkey, there'll be some lint and a white ointment in the saddlebags. Uh, donkey! Donkey! Oh, we'd have no need of that if okay. only I had thought to bring a flask of Ferrobrus's balm. What? What flask and balm is that? It is a balm, the recipe of which I know by heart. Come here, donkey. With it, one need have no fear of dying from any injury, however great. Settle down, settle In the future, I will make some and give it to you. So that if, as it sometimes happens, I am lying cut in half on the field of battle, you may neatly set me together again evenly and exactly. And then you must give me a couple of swallows of it, and I shall be whole again sound as an apple Whoa. well what is the cost of making this bomb your grace i suppose no more than two or three rehales a gallon hmm. Ooh. well if that is so then well i have no need for governorships or islands as your grace promised me in truth I'll ask nothing more for my services than the recipe for this bomb, as it might be sold by the ounce for a great profit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Sancho. I will teach you greater secrets than this, ah. and grant you greater favors. <laughs> but at present, fetch your saddlebags and let us dress our wounds. Certainly, a great sir. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Only the loss of my lance and helmet in the heat of battle. Better than losing your head. <laughs> but I ask you, Sancho, upon your life, have you ever read of a more valorous knight than I on the face of this earth? Never, master, never. <laughs> but then I can neither read nor write. <laughs> I swear, though, I swear, I never, never served a bolder master than your grace. If only... If only what, Sancho? Well, if your grace would sit straighter in the saddle, you might not slip off to one side as you are doing now on account of your injuries, no doubt. Uh, I will take that into consideration. But know, Sancho, that wounds received in battle confer honor. They do not take it away. I could do with a bit less honor and a bit more rib. <laughs> All the same, my lord, wouldn't it, uh, wouldn't it be best to seek out an inn and rest there a while? Have no fear, we will rest soon. Not soon enough for me. And, and your wounds, 
I mean, the ones you can't complain of, I mean. If the pain grows worse, Sancho, we will turn aside at the next castle so that your ribs may heal. <laughs> As you say, Master, but there are no castles on this road. Well... Though he did not tell his master, Sancho longed to be home in the village of his birth, safe and sound. He did not know, indeed how could he, that at that very moment, another expedition was setting out from the same village. The curate and the barber, well aware of their friend Don Quixote's condition, and filled with concern, had resolved to follow after him and by guile or by force, return him home where his lost wits might be restored. Ah, is that all of it, Nicolas? Enough for two weeks, Father Perrault. Ah. Yes, sausage, bread, cheese. Yes, 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 more than enough, I'm sure, my friend. Oh, dear. Oh, now, what's the matter? It's just that... What? What will we do if in his deranged state Alonso grows violent, huh? Oh, Alonso violent? Now he's so. taken with him his old lance and sword, and though notched and rusty, they're sharp enough. Nicholas, if you are reluctant to join me in this mission of mercy... No, no, it's not that. It, but... What? Well, Alonso is quite mad to have set off on this journey. Oh, agreed. And poor Sancho, in accompanying him, is madder still? Well, yes, yes, but what of it? Well, then we must be maddest of all for following after such a pair of lunatics. Oh, Master Barber. <laughs> you must try to remember. Yeah, what? We are sane. They are mad. Yeah. We must rescue them. They must be rescued. Oh, that's true. Yes, if we confuse that, we are no better than lunatics. <laughs> and it was not more than two years later that once again, Armandis fell into the clutches of his mortal enemy, Archelaus the Enchanter, mm. who, after he had taken Armandis captive, had him bound to a stake. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. No, it was a stone pillar. But what is this? What is what, my lord? What do you see before you, Sancho? Oh, I see an inn, my lord. Have I not cautioned you as to appearances? Know that this is no mere hostelry, but an enchanted castle. It is an inn, your grace. Willful Sancho, it is a castle. An inn. It is a castle. It is a castle. Now then. Ride up and tell the castellan there to lower his drawbridge for the famous knight Don Quixote seeks admittance. What are you waiting for? Oh. Go on! Do as I have said! Yes, Your Grace! Yes, Your Grace! <laughs> Good day. Are, are, are you the innkeeper? 
very safe. Oh, good. My, my master and I, we, we need a room for the night. <laughs> you mean that one over there with his head swathed in bandages? Yes, yes. You see, uh, well, he, he took a great fall. A fall? Uh, from a cliff. There are no cliffs in these parts. Uh, well, uh, no, I meant to say it was as though he had fallen from a cliff when he fell from his horse. Ah. Maritornis. Now, where is that girl? Maritornis. Master? Two more places at supper. And, and tell Alejandra to prepare another two pallets. But the mistress said we're full up. Never mind that. Get on with you. Yes, master. Oh. Ah, follow me then, senor. Ah, but what about your master? Who? Your master, there. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. If you'll excuse me, senor, excuse me. I, I'll fetch him here. Oh, Don Quixote, your grace. Ah, we have a bed for the night. <laughs> Don Quixote. <laughs> of you. Excuse them, Senor Quixote. What? Don Quixote, you mean? Have I not cautioned you, Sancho? That's exactly what I mean. Don Quixote. What did he call him? <laughs> it sounded like Don Teapot to me. Wife? Husband? Look after this gentleman, will you? He took a fall from his horse. Perhaps Don Teapot lost his lid. <laughs> this way, senor. I will follow you as the sun, the moon, gracious lady. <laughs> That's it. There you go. Watch it, watch it there. Set him down right there. Oh. Ah. Why, he's fainted dead away. Master, master. Lift his foot onto the pallet, oh. Maritone. Yes, mistress. No, no, the other foot. Oh. Oh. It's not much, Senor Panza, but it's all we've got. Oh, my poor master. You will be sharing the room with a mule driver. I'm afraid not the best of company. I don't care. <laughs> and this is your palace. Many thanks, many thanks, my good woman. You say he fell from his horse? Oh, yes, yes. His grace fell headfirst directly upon several sharp rocks. This, this morning it was. Well, then, let's remove these bandages. <gasps> ah, whoever wrapped them was a fool. He was. See how his hair's tied up in the knots. Oh, <coughs> oh your master's bruises are more like the marks of a, of a beating than a fall. Oh, well, it was no beating, you see. Uh, the rocks were very oddly shaped with uh, all sorts of uh, knobs and edges. Oh, <laughs> oh. Uh... If you could save a few bandages, uh, someone might find use for them uh, as... My back and sight also hurt me a ah, bit. Ah, so you've taken a fall as well. Well, no, 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 no. But uh, you see, the uh, shock I had of seeing my master tumble head over heels makes me ache from head to toe. Uh, <laughs> have you ever heard of something? Oh, I've more than heard of it. Why, not two weeks ago, I myself dreamt I'd fallen from a high tower, and when I woke, I was black and blue all over. Well, I was not dreaming. In fact, I was wider awake than I am at this very moment. Oh. And yet, I am no less bruised than his grace, Don Quixote. Oh. What's his name again? 
again? Oh, Don Quixote de la Mancha. Oh. He is the best and the bravest knight errant in the whole world. What's a knight errant? I will tell you in two words. He was down and out one day, and an emperor the next. <laughs> right, today he may be wretched, but tomorrow he give two or three kingdoms to his squire. Oh, oh. <laughs> Signor Panza, with such a fine master, how is it that you are not even a duke? Well, <laughs> it's early yet. <laughs> and uh, the fortunes of war object to constant change. <laughs> I see. But when his worship is better, I won't trade places for all the titles in Spain. Oh, oh, beautiful lady. You may well consider yourself fortunate to have sheltered in your castle so famous a knight as myself. What's he raving about? Oh, you see, uh, knights, oh, no, no, knights no. errant, they speak in this fashion because, oh. uh, well, they can't help it. <laughs> oh, well, he won't be speaking in any fashion for a while. He's fainted away again. Oh, master. Bring more bandages. Oh, yeah, yes, Mr. Knight errant, indeed. <laughs> Poor beggar is more like Master, it. wake up, wake up. Oh, still no sign of them, Father Carroll. As they were last seen at the crossroads a few miles back, who's to say they didn't turn north instead of south? Well, you may be right, Nicholas. It's simply that... Well, I can't quite explain it, but if, if, uh, if I were a Don Quixote, well, this is the road I should take in search of adventure. Aha! Uh -huh. Now look there. What is it? Windmills. Uh -huh. What a sight they are, each harnessing the wind to turn a grinding stone, their sails flailing round like huge, great, swinging arms. Yes, but let's not go so close, shall we? Oh, are you nervous, Nicholas? There's no danger, I assure you. Oh, what's that? What's what? There, there, don't you see it? I don't see a thing. There's something caught in one of the arms. Yeah, I'll just ride a little closer here. But, 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 don't but, but, worry, but, but, don't worry, my friend. It's perfectly safe. But, but you're going awfully close. Oh, it is a lance, Nicholas. Uh, and part of a helmet as well. Uh, they were here before uh, us. I knew uh, it. Later that evening, while Don Quixote and his squire lay sleeping side by side on makeshift pallets at the inn, or rather, while Sancho lay sleeping, for his master was wide awake as a rabbit, convinced that he was a guest in an enchanted castle where marvels could occur at any moment, Sleep? You must try to sleep, Sancho. You mustn't worry about me. Do not be surprised, Sancho, if in the course of the evening our slumbers are interrupted. I fear the daughter of the lord of this castle was so taken with my gentle demeanor that she means to lie beside me for a time. 
this will never do, as I am pledged to my lady Dulcinea del Toboso. Dulcinea the peerless. Dulcinea... What stay? What sound is that? She mistakes my name. Where are you hiding, Tenorio? <laughs> I can't see a thing. Tenorio! <laughs> Beautiful lady. You are not Tenorio. Would that I could repay your love in kind. Let, let go. But though your hair shines like spun gold, <laughs> though your breath is sweetly aromatic, <gasps> though you are a goddess of beauty. Let go of me. I am pledged to the peerless Dulcinea del Toboso. <gasps> if this did not stand in my way, I would not deny your happy favors. He's caught me by the wrist. What? The old man. He has us. Oh, I'll break you and nobly gone enchanted more. You know not to whom you'll speak. Sancho, my sword. Sancho, idiot. What the devil goes on here? You idiot, Mario. Can I turn where are you, whore? Well, I can explain. You're at the bottom of this, I wager. Oh. oh, what's this? Master. The old man's covered with blood. Oh. Oh. Don Quixote. Oh. He's not breathing. He's huh? all right. Lock the gates. Oh. Let no one oh. leave. Master. Anatolinus, I'll have your hide for this. But, but I'm not at fault, Master. You see, you see, he caught not. me by the wrist and he forced me to oh. his bed. She's telling the truth, Juan. I, I swear it. Ah, yes. And so you murdered him. Oh, no. The finest. I didn't kill him. Let me no longer, monstrous giant. Giant, is it? You see, he was shamming all along. Yes, yes. Well, I am Don Quixote de la Mancha. He's cracked. Right. Yeah. Give me a hand, Tenorio. We are sending this fine fellow on his merry way. Under the arms now. Lips. No, to me, Sancho. Sancho, I am beset with a thousand devils. Sancho. Castle. Oh, I did not recognize you. Sir, Castellan, let me tell you that your castle is under the spell of a Moorish enchanter. A thousand giants attacked me in my chamber. <laughs> oh, look to your castle, senor. Look to it, for things here are not at all what they seem. If I can repay you for your good intentions by avenging some wrong done to you by my haughty foe, you need only to request it. A steady Rocinante. Just pay me what you owe me. What I owe you? Supper and bed, straw and barley for the animals. This is an inn, then? Yes, and a very respectable one. Oh, in that case, I have been laboring under a delusion, for I took it to be a castle. Well, be that as it may, you must excuse the pain. Excuse the No, pain. I cannot contravene the laws of chivalry because of a simple misunderstanding. Those laws have nothing to do with me. Your 
disrespect shows me you are not acquainted with the glorious accounts of chivalric knights. The only accounts that interest me are those that are due me. Stupid, ignorant man. I will parley with you no longer. Fly, Rocinante! <laughs> Shall we follow him? No need. He won't go far, I think. If a madman is only half a man, he's left his other half behind. <laughs> Bring down the other one! <laughs> and as Sancho slept, they carried him into the courtyard as well. Uh, I, I, he sleeps like a log. And he weighs no less. Don Teapot and Squire Kettle. <laughs> Will the pot come to the kettle? Or the kettle to the pot? <laughs> Put me down, Teresa. Imagine the size of Teresa. <laughs> Spreading a large blanket on the ground, they set Sancho down in the middle of it. As his ill luck would have it, Four wool carders from Segovia, three needle makers from Cordoba, and two lads from the fair of Seville were staying in the inn that night, and all of them were gathered about the edges of the blanket. Right, boys, we'll have some sport with him. Let's toss this fellow! <laughs> what? Where am I? Whoa, what are you? Look at the corners, quickly now! Right. Whoa, wait, no! Put me down! Oh, you're great! We know Grace here, Squire. Now toss him high! All together! <laughs> <laughs> Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Globe Radio Repertory production. Featured in the cast were Ted Darms as Don Quixote and John Aylward as Sancho Panza. Also featured were John Gilbert as the curate, Art Kahn as the barber, Doug Smith as the innkeeper, Leah Sluice as his wife, Laurie Larson as Maritornes, and Mark Jenkins, Rick May, and James Brousseau as the mule drivers. Narration by Glenn Mason. Sound design, engineering, and editing, Jerry Thompson. The program was directed by Gene Sherrard and adapted for radio by John Sisko and Gene Sherrard. Scholarly advisor, Dr. George Shipley. Production secretary, Roberta Shorak. Project manager, James Brozo. Don Quixote de la Mancha was funded in part by the Washington State Arts Commission and the King County Arts Commission. Your announcer, Rudy Perez. And we return. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the KWAR Theater of the Air, here on KWR Clayton, 90.3 FM. What are you doing? What are those noises? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Those are, those are windmill noises. <laughs> yes, and you were just listening to the NPR Playhouse radio adaptation of Don Quixote. That was the second episode of the adaptation. You can actually find the entire thing online at, I believe, the Internet Archive. Dear NPR Playhouse, please give me a job.
Uh, they don't exist anymore, as a matter of fact. That Dear NPR Playhouse, please exist and give me a job. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they stopped broadcasting programs in, I believe, the early 90s. Early 90s? Yeah. Figures. Sometime around that. Bummer. But I think Alex has a message for us. Yes. Global warming. We can still make a difference. If every family replaced three frequently used light bulbs with compact fluorescent bulbs, it's like taking 3.5 million cars off the road. Find out more at fightglobalwarming.com. Brought to you by Environmental Defense, the Robertson Foundation, and the Ad Council. You said it! I yeah, did, I, I, I would just it. like to personally endorse, I mean, while we're on the subject, I would like to personally endorse compact, compact fluorescent bulbs. Um, they're good. You can hmm. put your hand on one when it's turned down, and it won't burn you like an incandescent bulb will. Yeah. Well, they last really? they last much longer than incandescent bulbs, and they use uh, a ton less energy, so they're much better for the environment. And you can they're widely available. And, and so you, next time your incandescent bulbs burn out, replace them with compact fluorescents. And when you turn them off in the dark, they sort of glow a little bit. Uh, yeah, some of them do. That's what I said last night. Oh. Hey. So, of course, this understand. is K-Worth Theater Darn of the it. Air, and <laughs> today we're having a medieval theme, which is very far removed from compact fluorescent light. I can't even say it. Compact fluorescent light bulbs. How camest these swirly things to glow like unto the devil's undies? <laughs> <laughs> Weren't it carved from some hellish stalactite? A perchance... From the nipple of a witch? <laughs> Perhaps. Ugh. And today we've been reading <laughs> The Eye of Argon, uh, a ridiculous fantasy story with just the kind of rhetoric that my co-DJ David was just spouting. It's totally ridiculous. We've been doing a reading slash competition. So a the challenge is we have to... Read for as long as possible. Each of us read a section of this story without laughing. And once we laugh, the story passes on to the next person. Chapter 3 is actually quite short. Okay, so we'll read now chapter 3 of The Eye of Argon. There's actually a three and a half, too. So we'll read that to four. Okay, so we'll read chapter 3 and we'll read chapter (laughs) 3 and a half of The Eye of Argon. Oh, that's great. I predict that this will be hilarious. David? Consciousness returned to Grigner in stigmatic pools as his eyes, as his mind gradually cleared the cobwebs cluttering its inner recesses. Yet the Stygian cloud of charcoal ebony remained, an incompatible shield of blackness enhanced by the bleak absence of sound. Grigner's muddled bla- brain reeled from the shock of the blow he had received to the base of his skull. The events leading to his predicament were slow to filter back to him. He dickered with the notion that he was dead and had descended or sunk, however it may be, to the shadowed land beyond the aperture of the grave, but rejected this hypothesis when his memory sifted back within his grips. This was not the land of the dead. It was something infinitely more precarious than anything the grave could offer. Death promised him an infinity of peace, not the finite misery of an inactive life, of confined torture, forever concealed from the life-bearing shafts of the beloved rising sun. The orb that had been forever taken for granted, now cherished above all else, to be forever refused further glimpses of the snow-capped summits of the land of his birth, never again to witness the thrill of plundering unexplored lands beyond the crest of a bleeding horizon, and perhaps worst of all, the denial to ever again 
encompassed the lustful excitement of caressing the, uh, caressing the naked curves of a body of a young trim uh, of a trim yound wench. <laughs> yound. Yound. <laughs> this was indeed one of the buried chasms of hell concealed within the inner depths of the palace's despised interior. A fearful ebony chamber devised to drive to the brinks of insanity the minds of the unfortunately condemned through the inapt solitude of a limbo of listless, dreary silence. Chapter three and a half. (laughs) (laughs) A tightly wrung elliptical circle or torches cast their wavering shafts, prancing morbidly (laughs) over the smooth surface of a rectangular ridged altar. Expertly chiseled forms of grotesque gargoyles grace the oblique rim, protuberating the length. <laughs> I think you laugh. <laughs> protuberating. Yeah, that that's, a, that's a good place to leave off there. I gotta, I gotta get in the game. Get my game okay. face on here. Get ready. Get ready for protuberances. <laughs> All right. Oblique rim, protuberate, protrude. It doesn't count. Doesn't count. Protuberating the length of the grim orifice of death. Staring forever ahead into nothingness in nothingness in complete ignorance of the bloody rites enacted in their presence. Brown flaking stains decorated the golden surface of the ridge surrounding the altar, which Ew. banked to a small <laughs> slit at the lower right hand lower right hand corner of the alt no. Yes, lower right hand corner of the altar. <laughs> That just didn't make sense. The slit stood above... Oh, you noticed now! Yes. The slit stood above a crudely pounded pail, which had several silver-meshed chalices hanging at its sides. Dangling at the rim of golden mallet, the handle of which was engraved with images of twisted faces and groved at its far end with <laughs> slots designed for a snug hand grip. <laughs> The head of the mallet was slightly larger than a clenched fist and shaped into a smooth oval mass. Encircling the marble altar was a congregation of leering shaman, eerie chants of a bygone age, originating unknown eons before the memory of man, were being uttered from the buried recesses of the acolyte's deep lings. Deep lings. Orange paint was smeared in generous globules over the top of... The priest's wrinkled, shaven scalps. I think it was supposed to be lungs. That's what I think. Yes, as do I. All right. While golden rings projected from the lobes of their pink ears, (laughs) ornate robes of luscious purple satin enclosed their bulging torsos. Attached around their waists with silvered silk lashes latched with ebony buckles in the shape of morose, misshaped skulls. Dangling around their necks were oval-fashioned medallions held by thin gold chains featuring in their centers blood-red rubies which resembled crimson fetish eyeballs. (laughs) Oh, crimson fetish eyeballs. I lost it. That, That was good. David, it's your turn. Good luck. Okay, here we go. Uh, Blood red rubies which resembled crimson fetish eyeballs. Uh, uh, The the word, well, never mind. Cushioning their bare feet were plush red felt slippers with pointed golden spikes projecting from their tips. Situated in front of the altar and directly adjacent to the copper pail was a massive jade idol, a misshaped 
hideous bust of the shaman's pagan deity. The shimmering green idol was placed in a sitting posture on an ornately carved golden throne, raised upon a round, divori-plated dais. I believe that is supposed to be an ivory-plated dais. I think you laughed. It bulging... What? No. What? 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 Did I laugh? I I think you did a little bit, David. Vote. Mm, Yeah. uh, Okay, fine. You you got you gotta you gotta censor yourself, my friend, my friend. Um, mark it, mark it. Okay, mark it. Pass okay. It along. A divery plated dais. I hate everything. I hate America. That's a lie. Um, it bulging arms and webbed hands resting on the padded arms of the seat. Its head was entwined in golden snake-like coils hanging over its oblong ears. Which tapered off to thin hollow points. <laughs> its nose was a bulging triangular mass, sunken in at its sides with toe gaping nostrils. <laughs> gaping nostrils. Dramatic beneath the nostrils was a twisted, shaggy lipped mouth. <laughs> Sh- sorry? Shaggy lipped mouth, giving the impression of a slovering sadistic grimace. <laughs> At the foot of the heathen deity, uh, or deity, sorry, a slender, pale-faced female, naked, but for a golden jeweled harness, enshrouding her huge, outcropping breasts, <laughs> supporting long silver laces which extended up to her thigh, stood before the white, the pearl-white field with noticeable shivers traveling up and down the length of her exquisitely molded body. Her delicate lips trembled before, beneath soft, narrow hands as she attempted to conceal herself from the piercing stare of the ambivalent idol. Glaring directly down towards her was the stony, cycloptic face of the bloated deity. Gaping from its single obling socket was scintillating (laughs) many-faceted scarlet scarlet emerald. Scarlet emerald. A brilliant gem seeming to possess a life all of its own. A priceless, gleaming stone capable of domineering the wealth of conquering empires. The eye... Of Argon. Bum, bum, bum. End of chapter three. Of Very chapter good. Three. I think <laughs> the Scarlet Emerald of Argon. I, I believe. Oh, that was good. David uh, now has the record here. Uh, is is our is our leader ha- having read an entire chapter of this without laughing? So you're in the lead, David. Awesome. I think we're going to take a break. That's a good plan. And then we'll be back with more medieval craziness here on the K-Word Theater of the Air. We'll see you shortly.
We return. You're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. You can also listen online at www.kword.com. Why am I talking like that? <clears throat> Hi, I'm David Reinstrom. <laughs> I'm David Brunel Brutman, and I have no idea why you're talking like that. I'm Alex Jensen. Hi, and, Alex Jensen. And this is the medieval episode. Yeah. This is the medieval episode. So now, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for... Stories. It's story time with Alex. <laughs> can you think of anything more wonderful? Because I can't. I cannot think of anything more wonderful than story time with Alex. So, I will begin in that case. So, I was thinking... Yeah! Trying, I was trying to think of uh, Sorry, m- medieval... That's okay. No, no problem. I was trying to think of medieval stories that I have. And uh, the first thing that came to mind, which probably is the only, the most relevant medieval story... Um, that I could come up with is um, the time that uh, my I, I fence or I used to fence at least um, I can't find the time anymore but my fencing instructor um, asked me if I would make a short promotional video for the Black Knights Fight Group which is this um, night fighting group <laughs> Um, when do they fight? Do they fight at night, or, or do they fight as though they were knights? As though they were knights, like K N I G H D S knights. Yes. Um, so basically, we um, I had to stand in front of the St. Louis Art Museum um, while my instructor, dressed in full armor, um, performed a staged battle um, with another woman who was also dressed in full armor. Uh, and this was my first job filming anything or, you know, so I didn't know what I was doing. And I, you know, they were, they were 
they were in night outfits and I was just like, oh outfits. my, yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the nerdiest thing I've ever done in my life because he was all like, can you get a shot of me posing like this? And he would hold his sword up and, and have one hand on his hip and like there'd be the shield and I'm just like, oh this my was gosh. What? This was Bruce? This was Bruce, yes. Okay. And I'm like, my, my my life is going downhill starting here. Oh, next, come on. next thing you know, I'm going to be at, you know, medieval, um, you know, festivals. What do they call those? Ren Fair? Renaissance, Renaissance fairs. fairs. You know, I've always wanted to go. Uh, um, anyway. <laughs> lots of lots of nice people, food on sticks. Sorry, continue. Uh, and actually, by the time we finished filming, actually, they were taking pictures for someone's wedding in the same area. And they thought it would be a great idea if they approached us and had their wedding pictures taken with um, my fencing instructor and this yes. other woman. <laughs> yes. See? So, People that attend rent fairs get married. <laughs> Don't hate. Uh, so I, I took a picture of a wedding party with my my friends dressed, dressed up as knights. Um, and I, I did get paid, actually, for that video. So <laughs> you can find it somewhere in the depths of the internet. Um, the second story that Wonderful. I wanted to tell also is uh, has to do with fencing, um, which is mildly medieval because it is sword fighting. Uh, I was at a tournament one time, and we were in teams, and the team that we were going against, against next had this really old woman fencing in it. Like, I'm not joking. She was like 85, and she was like withered away withering away and she was wrinkly and and talked like this you know like all old women she was an old hag if we want to if we want to stick with the the medieval theme here i think hags are are pretty much medieval don't you um so i i i had to fence her first a better white a better white to fight (laughs) and um obviously there was no age limit for this um tournament so i i had to go up against her first and, you know, I'm like, oh, she's this old lady. I, I got to, like, you know, go easy on her because I'm afraid if I thrust, I'm going to I'm going to go right through her <laughs> or I will break her hip or, you know, something horrible will happen. You know, like like she'll have a heart attack and like it'll be my fault because like I basically killed this woman with a you'll, sword. You'll just thrust your sword at her. You'll hit her chest and it will go all the way through her <laughs> Her sternum through her heart and out through her spine because her bones and organs and skin are made of paper. Basically, she looked like she made she was made of paper, and I was afraid that I was going to sword fight this woman to death, which is, <laughs> which is totally you know the most badass thing that that you could ever say. Is like yeah, one time I killed someone with a sword, <laughs> um, but you know I I wasn't really ready to go there yet, so. Um, an 85-year-old woman. <laughs> One time, start I killed an 85-year-old woman with a sword. It was pretty bad. People has to start somewhere, Alexa. Yeah. So anyway, we began the bout, and um, she kicks my butt. Like, like, <laughs> like this lady is good and and strong, and she like she thrusts at me with her sword, and hits my inner thigh, and I had this bruise, the side of like. The size of like a clenched fist or a softball for like you That's know three good. weeks. File that metaphor away. I guess I, I, I have I've had a lot of bruises in these, these stories that I've been telling here. That's a lot true. of yes, in, injury related. Um, so so yeah, and she actually um, 
I think I beat her. I think it was five to four. Um, but, you know, she was holding her own. Um, but that was the time that I almost killed someone with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's pretty much it. For, for story time. That's all the medieval stories I have. The time so. Alex fought a woman made of paper. <laughs> uh, I hope you enjoyed. These and many more, along with Alex's other greatest hits. <laughs> I'm not going to make it. I think we lost him. You don't say that to Lord Vader. <laughs> this has been Storytime with Alex. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Thank you. Was was there a, a, a punchline from, from those stories that I was telling I just now? I almost, I thought I was going to kill a woman made of paper. <laughs> I think David said that. Yeah, but I kind of came up with that one. Mm. Maybe, uh... We'll have to re-listen. That 85-year-old woman kicked my butt. Maybe. I, I think it might be something along the lines of one time I killed somebody with a sword. <laughs> or I almost killed somebody with a sword. Yeah, maybe. We'll think about it, and we'll get back to you, listeners. So It's very important. Of course, you're listening to K-Worth Theater of the Air, and uh, today we're doing our medieval episode. We've just had some medieval-themed stories from Alex Jensen. And throughout this entire episode, if you've been following us, we have been reading from the medieval fantasy epic, The, the Eye, Eye of, of Argon. Quite possibly the worst fantasy story ever written ever. in the history of mankind. Ever. And we've been doing a... Reading slash competition. Now, the competition is to see who can read it the longest without laughing. It's hard. Okay. So it's proving one, to be difficult. We've got, I mean, there's a lot more story to get through, but we've only got yes. time for one more short chapter. So we're going to read chapter four for you now, listeners. When we had left off, um, Grignir the accordion had just discovered a, uh, a an alabaster wench of some kind gazing upon an idol uh, a, a I think that was idol. a. I think that was a cutaway. I yes. don't think Grigner discovered. Oh, he didn't. Oh, the wench, the, oh, okay. the naked alabaster wench. Oh, perhaps not. You're right. Uh, but in in the the eyepiece of the idol was a giant scarlet emerald, many faceted, <laughs> as it were, a many faceted, scarlet a many faceted scarlet Amazing. emerald, the eye of Argon. Let us continue. Chapter four. All knowledge of measuring time had escaped Grigner. When a person is deprived of the sun, moon, and stars, he loses all conception of time, as he had previously understood it. He s it seemed as if years had passed, if time were being measured by terms of misery and mental anguish. Yet he estimated that his stay had only been a few days in length. He has slept three times and had been fed five times since his awakening in the crypt. However, when the actions of the body are restricted, its needs are also affected. The need for nourishment... Uh, and slumber are directly proportional to the functions the body has performed, meaning that when free and active, Grigner may become hungry every six hours and witness the desire for sleep every 15 hours, whereas in his present condition he may encounter the need for food every 10 hours and the want for rest every 20 wait, hours. Wait, wait, are, are you making this up? No, that is what it says. <laughs> Thank you for that, that exposition dump. All methods he had before depended upon were extinct in the dismal pit, Hence, he may have been imprisoned for ten minutes or ten years, he didn't know, resulting in a disheartened emotion deep within his being. <laughs> the food, if you can honor the moldering lumps of fitted mush to that extent, <laughs> was borne to him by two bulls who to two by two guards who opened a portal at the top of his enclosure and shoved it to him in wooden bowls, retrieving the food and water bowels from his previous meal at the same time. <laughs> After which they threw back the bolts on the iron latch and returned to their other duties. 
Since deprived of all other means of nourishment, Grigner was, for- was impelled to eat the tainted slop in order to ward off the pangs of starvation. Though as he stuffed it into his mouth with his filthy fingers and struggled to force it down his throat, he imagined it was that which had been spurned by the hound stationed at various segments of the palace. There was little in the Bayron vault that could occupy his body or mind. He had paced out the length and width of the enclosure time and time again and tested every granite slab which consisted the walls of the prison, consisted the walls, uh, in hopes of finding a hidden passage to freedom all of which was to no avail other than to keep him busy and distract his mind from wandering to thoughts of what he believed was his future. He had memorized the number of strides from one end of the other, <laughs> from one end to the other of the cell, and knew the exact number of slabs which made up the deep, the bleak dungeon. Numerous schemes were introduced and alternately discarded in turn as they succored to unravel to him no means of escape, which stood the slightest chance of success. <laughs> Anguish continued to mount as his means of occupation were rapidly exhausted. Suddenly, without no tithe, he was routed from his contemplations as he detected a faint scratching sound at the end of the crypt opposite him. The sound seemed to be caused by something trying to scrape away at the granite blocks, granite blocks. <laughs> 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 it's my turn. The, the granite blocks. The granite blocks. There we are. Got it. <clears throat> Granted blocks of the floor of the enclosure consisted of the sandy scratching of something like an animal's claws. Grignir gradually groped his way to the other end of the vault, carefully feeling his way along with his hands ahead of him. When a few inches from the wall, a loud penetrating squeal and the scampering of small padded feet reverberated from the walls of the roughly hewn chamber. Grignir threw his hands up to shield his face and flung himself backwards upon his buttocks. A fuzzy form bounded to his hairy chest, burying its talons in his flesh while gnashing toward his throat with its grinding white teeth, its sour, fetid breath scorching the squirming barbarian's dilating nostrils. (laughs) Grignir... I'm gonna make it... Grignir grappled with the lashing... Grignir grappled with the lashing flexor muscles of the repugnant body of a gargantuan brown-hided rat, striving to hold its razor teeth from his juicy jugular. (laughs) As its beady gray organs of sight glazed into the flame. Glazed into the, the, the flaring emeralds right there. There you go, David. You can do it. (sighs) Okay. Game time. Game face. As its beady gray organs of sight glazed into the flaring emeralds of its prey, taking hold of the rodent around its lean, growling stomach with both hands, Gringer pried it from his crimson-rent breast, removing small patches of flayed flesh from his chest in the motion between the squalid black claws of the starving beast. Holding the rodent at arm's length, he cupped his right hand, one word, over its frothing face. (laughs) (laughs) All right, (laughs) frothing face. Frothing face. I'm sorry, I I didn't point out to you where it was. Where are we, frothing face? 
<laughs> yeah, I still don't see it. Blah, 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 blah. From... <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, constricting his fingers into a vice-like fist over the quivering head. Retaining his grips on the rat, Grigner flexed his outstretched arm... Uh, his outstretched arms while slowly twisting his right hand clockwise and his left hand counterclockwise. <laughs> Motion. <laughs> the rodent let out a tortured squall, drawing scarlet as it violently dug its foam-flecked fangs into the barbarian's sweating palm, causing its his face to contort to an ugly grimace as he cursed beneath his breath. His breath. With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso, sending out a shrinking shower of crimson gore and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebrae, snapped trachea, Ugh. esophagus, and <laughs> jugular, <laughs> disjointed hyoid bone. Hyoid! <laughs> Morose, purpled, stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles. Flinging the broken body to the floor, Grignir shook his blood-streaked hands and wiped them against his thigh until dry, then wiped the blood that had showered his face and from his eyes. Again, sitting himself upon the jagged floor, he prepared to once more revamp his glum meditations. He told himself that as long as he still breathed the the gust of life through his lungs, hope was not lost. He told himself this, but found it hard to comprehend in his gloomy surroundings. Yet he was still alive, his bulging sinews at their peak of marvel, his struggling mind floating in a morale of impressed excellence of thought. Plot after a plot sifted through his mind in energetic contemplations. Then it hit him. Minutes may have passed in silent thought, or days, he could not tell, but he stumbled at last upon a plan that he considered as holding a slight margin of possibility. He might die in the attempt, but he knew he would not submit without a final bloody struggle. It was not a foolproof plan, yet it built up a store of renewed vortex energy in his overwrought soul. <laughs> Though he might perish in the execution of his escape, he would still be escaping the life of infinite torture in store for him. Either way, he would still cheat the gloating prince of the suckered revenge to his sadistic, revenge his sadistic mind craved so dearly. One last paragraph. The guards would soon come to bear him off to the prince's buried mines of dread, giving him the sought-after opportunity to execute his newly formulated plan. Groping his way along the rough floor, Grigner finally found his tool in a pool of congealed... (laughs) (laughs) Darn it! You laugh! In a pool of congealed gore. Is that that the end of it? No, there's like a couple more sentences. Okay, Mm. Alex, take us home. Take us home. Take us on home. Here goes nothing. Finally found his tool in a pool of congealed gore. The carcass of the decapitated rodent. The tool that the very filth he had been sentenced to spawned. Ew. When the time came for action, he would have been he would have to be prepared. So he set himself to rending the sticky hulk in grim silence, searching by the touch of his fingertips for the lever to freedom. The end of chapter four. Okay, that's the end of chapter four of The Eye of Argon. I think he makes a shiv, a prison shiv, out of the carcass of the rat, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, we are out of time. We are out of time. That's too bad. I was having fun. I had a lot of fun today. I think (laughs) we can... uh, I I would like to declare David Reinstrom the winner of our Eye of Argon reading contest. Thank you very much. As he managed to read an entire chapter of The Eye of Argon... (laughs) Without laughing. Chapter three and a half? Chapter three. No, I believe it was chapter three. (laughs) Ah. That was a pretty short chapter. That he read. Got it. 
But thank you. Thank you very much. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the KWUR Theater of the Air was written, produced, and directed by me, David Reinstrom, him, David Brunel Brutman, and sh- er, he, and she, Alexandra Nicole Jensen. And now, the cast of Sky Pirates. Starring Evan Kuhn, Alex Jensen, David Brunel Brutman, Kareth Parashak, Michael Giserni, Ben Steinberg, David Reinstrom, Willis Garcini, Justin Pieper, and introducing Alice Sheldon. All right. Uh, the Kworth Theater of the Air could do with a bit less honor and a bit more rib. Our key grip this week was Angafund, the esteemed vizier. <laughs> uh, makeup this week provided by the Beard of Merrick. The sweeping blades of flashing steel provided by Grigner, the accordion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. <laughs> I, I think it. I think that's it for us All this week. All the laugh came out of me. All the <laughs> laugh I had stored up, it was just like, it's going to come out now. Uh, have a good week. I'll see you guys Not next time. Not until you have kissed the fleeting stead of death, wretch. Oh, God, like, here we go again. You rat. make love that's well, a good bedtime story, don't you think?